Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 35, The Secrets of Seeds with Richo Check. In this episode, we are honored to speak with Richo of Strictly Medicinal about how he started germinating seeds when he was just a wee lad of three, about journeying to East Africa and coming back with seeds. We dive deep into Tulsi, holy basil, and we learn about the different kinds of Tulsi and about how temperate Tulsi, what most of us in the United States think of as Tulsi, is actually Osimum Africanum and how he helped find that out. We get into the secrets of direct seeding. And he gives us some advice on how to harden our hearts and just thin the plants. He also talks about Mandrake and offers many insightful comments and deep perspectives in this episode. I hope you enjoy. And as always, you can find us and support us at patreon.com slash plantcunning and richo at strictlymedicinalseeds.com. Okay, welcome, Richo Check, to the Plant Cunning Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you, AC. Hi, Isaac. Hello. <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, super exciting for us to get to chat with you. You wear many hats. You're a botanist, a grower. You have um, Strictly Medicinal Seed Company, which is probably the premier seed company um, for medicinal herbs and vegetables and things like that. So, um I guess the, we'll just start with the traditional first question, which is how did you come to the plant path? Have you always been a plant person? Well, my family Bible was tucked up on a shelf and being in a scientific family of agnostics, nobody much brought it down or looked at it, but I used it because it was the thickest book around and I always pressed little plant samples in it from about the age of three on. So wow. if anybody wanted to look up um, Ecclesiastes, they ended up with, with uh, 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 marigold flowers. And, <laughs> and so, it, yeah, it, it does. My, one of my earliest memories is sitting on the front porch of our house at 406 McGowan Avenue in Iowa city, Iowa. And, looking down and seeing uh, Marigold had gone to to Deadhead and picking it up and finding the black seeds inside there. Like We're talking about three years old here. And I brought them into my mom and I said, do you think that if I plant these, that it will get more Marigolds? And, and she said, I think so. And so <laughs> we did it and we did. And that was kind of the beginning of it fascination with seeds seed germination and the cycles of nature wow so you did start young yeah that's that's really early well you think that but we have a little boy osha who's the who's the son of my third born daughter and he's less than two years old and planted peas in the garden and was completely cognizant of the fact that the peas that he planted were also uh, uh, resulting in the pea pods that he was eating some spare 60 days later. So really, I think, I think we're born with genetic intelligence that guides us towards the herbal slash plant path. It's definitely in our, human roots. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, comment there. We just got a little kitten and I was amazed at how quickly she just started using the litter box. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to compare, compare like growing seeds to like cats defecating, but it's like, in, it's like in, inherent. Mm -hmm. She just knew what to do. Know what to do. And yeah, we as kids know what to do. Perfectly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So were your parents, um, they that your mom helped you cultivate those seeds but was she into gardening or um do you have that in your family history as well well we're we're Czechoslovakian so it I do kind of pick up on the the threads of an agrarian past 
-hmm. sometimes I'm out in the field tilling or or getting my hands in around uh, a plant, uh, removing the removing the weeds and and bringing fertile soil into the plant that I'm nourishing, then I sometimes do feel the the pull of my agrarian past. But actually, my parents were middle class people in the 50s. My dad was a scientist and a medical doctor. My mom was a housewife. So yeah, we moved the picnic table one time and there was a bare patch of ground and I planted some potatoes there and, uh, and, and they did grow. And then when I dug them up, I had little tiny potatoes and I was so enamored with my potatoes in a bag. And I brought them to to second grade for show and tell. And I can Mm -hmm. still remember the bag splitting and my potatoes falling out on the curb and, 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 and even, even though I still was able to show them for show and tell, nobody else was impressed. I thought they were great. Really? Potatoes. Those are just potatoes. Can't you show us a plastic toy that you just got? Right. Kind of. But you saw you saw the magic from you know that bare open patch of earth to planting the little potato and growing, and then the, them yeah. growing and it's a yeah, miracle. It is. There you go. I couldn't have said it better myself. It was, it was a way of of feeling the the magic of regeneration that mm-hmm. has always attracted me about seeds is that they're a small bundle of life force that uh, my dad, even though he was a scientist, was never una- was never really able to explain to me how that life force Mm. got in there and why it works. So can you explain that to us? I think it's part of the great mystery. And as long as we don't understand it, but we just become one with it, then it will work for us. Mm. Yeah. It can't Mm. be understood, but it can be experienced. It can be experienced. It can be observed. It can be, proliferated and supported and those are some of the best things that humans do Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. it's amazing so did you go on to study botany and archaeology i studied swahili and that brought me into archaeology and took me eventually to east africa where i lived for three years Mm. and put myself inundated myself in African culture and got the, uh, uh, hopefully received a soul injection. Having, having grown up in white middle-class America, uh, I needed to have my cultural third eye pried open. Yeah. And that was an experience which, which served to do so. Mm. The people who, who really live in the moment because they have very little so they're not leaning towards materialism and in a way that's very useful for their own development as human beings i was sitting in a truck one day and i kind of clicked my tongue like that and the fellow who was sitting next to me whose name was cosmos oh wow looked over at me and in swahili he said uh which means here in Africa, we don't do that. Mm. And I I said, what do you mean? He said, you were thinking about something bad in the past. And instead we just look to what's good about now. So he was actually incorporating Shakyamuni Buddhist values. Mm. And, and, uh, uh, and this was just coming to him naturally through his culture. So I, I learned a lot in the truck that day sitting next to Cosmos. Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing story. It's a good lesson. I'm sure that's stuck with you. It has. And it was very simple and, and, and there were, were no lightning strikes or, or any kind of, um, any kind of 
amazing occurrences around it. But like you say, it did, it kind of, it kind of struck me in, in the heart and it mm-hmm. let me know what, what uh, African people had to, had to give me uh, in, and to help encourage my own enlightenment. Mm-hmm. So it's after the, after being in Africa, that's when you started the seed company. I actually brought seeds back with me from Africa and it was at a, at a time when this was in the seventies, it was a time when it was easier to do that. The mm-hmm. uh, Asian rules were not nearly as strict as they are these days. I always say that laws, laws never get less strict. They only become more complicated. So the longer we live, the more we're, we're restricted in, in our activities. Later, I returned again to Africa as a consultant to Kenya, to organic farms in Kenya, and taught people uh, some things about growing medicinal herbs because there was a situation where a, a lot of the wild herbs were being used up and there was very little attempt to cultivate and conserve through uh, cultivation. I also uh, uh, came into contact with a lot of different uh, indigenous plants like a uh, African ecotype of ashwagandha that has become very popular in the United States. I also then went from Kenya to Tanzania and traveled around by uh, a tramp steamer and native Dow. F- found myself on the island of Pemba, which is the breadbasket of the Zanzibar archipelago, and met a woman who was cultivating a particular basil variety, which she which she gifted me the seeds of, and I was able to bring that back again by native Dow, then on a tramp steamer, then uh, by airplane to Seattle SeaTech airport where all my seeds were confiscated. And after some, even though I had phytosanitary certificate and import permits, all my seeds were confiscated. And after about three months, after numerous backs and forths with the, with the authorities, some of the seeds were re-released to me, including the, the Mrihani basil, which this woman had given me. I proceeded to grow that out and it turned out to be a, a unique basil variety that was then picked up by scientists and one of the genes in the, in that basil was used to prefer downy mildew resistance to a whole line of basils that are now the main basils that are grown in the United States because downy mildew has been a a really big problem for commercial basil growers. So um, stories like this are are, uh, interwoven throughout my experience. And it, uh, one of the lessons that I picked up from it is that, um, the USDA in denying the entry of new varieties into the United States may be shooting themselves in the foot in terms of the uh, genetic richness of world uh, plants, specifically medicinal plants and culinary plants, which are my main focus. Mm. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's one of the, uh, Essential characteristics of bureaucracies is uh, shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All to limp. (laughs) So are there other plants like that, that you've um, introduced uh, into the, the American uh, growing culture? Well, it's, it's often, It's often difficult to really, to really parse out the entire situation because humans have been trading in in plants uh, for many generations, and and it's right. yeah. critical to the to the fabric of our of our culture. But a few things that 
I personally never saw before we brought them in to uh, uh, and introduced them to to common growing in the United States. Or, for instance, the the uh, Krishna Tulsi, which was uh, lot number one of of Horizon Herbs uh, way back twenty plus years ago. We we have lot numbered every single accession of plants that that. Um, we've made and that was that was lot number one which was really good luck because one of the attributes of Tulsi which is the as you know the Asamam sanctum mm-hmm. Asamam take out the the inner part of the word Simu and you get Om mm-hmm. okay in any case yeah it's a very it's a very auspicious beginning to start with Krishna Tulsi. And so the the different varieties of tropical Tulsis and then the accession of the African plant, Asamum Africanum, which we call temperate Tulsi and, and has been sold in the United States for many years as holy basil. All of these things have been part of our cultivation efforts and we've made um, good progress in growing them out in distinct areas so that they don't hybridize and saving the seed and and uh, promulgating these different st- strains of tulsi which which uh, are used both in vedic ceremony uh, uh, it's it's pretty well known that simply eating one one leaf of the tulsi plant on a daily basis and and chanting the sacred seed syllable om is a very good way to start the day yeah <laughs> so, so um can i just uh, ask something real quick yeah. um how far away do you have to keep the plants to keep them from hybridizing the different varieties there are two different ways to establish isolation one is by distance and the other is by ecology okay. so in a mixed garden of medicinal herbs, what you do is, is you use both methods. You plant the, the patches of plants far apart and you have a diverse uh, array of flowering plants and trees in between, which cause the bees to mainly accumulate only on one patch of plants. And so, so this uh, has proven to be very effective for us. When we replant our Tulsi seeds, we find that they come true to form. And we always keep an eye on that and make experimental growings of the different plants on a yearly basis to make sure that they haven't hybridized and, and changed in, in form. That's, that's wonderful. It, in permaculture, you know, we're always talking about like growing lots of insectary plants and beneficial insect attracting plants everywhere. But that's another layer um, that I haven't, I've never heard before of, of actually, you know, focusing the, the pollinators on just the one patch. That's really cool. If you watch the bees, you can see them do it. Mm. And you can see that they, they pick up on a particular type of of plant and they'll stick to it. And, and that's one of the reasons why you have to make sure that you have enough individuals in a given population, not only for the purpose of establishing genetic diversity, but in for the purpose of attracting enough bees for long enough to a particular spot. So, and, and giving them enough nectar and, and pollen from that, from that particular area to satisfy them and keep them there. Cool. So going back to uh, Tulsi, the uh, the the holy basil or the like the main detemperate Tulsi. What's the history of that? Because reading your blog post on the Tulsis, you said that you basically don't know what the um, exact scientific name of it is or like where it came from. Um, but it's it's when I go to other like other herbalists, other gardeners all around the country, that's what they grow. They don't really grow Krishna or the the other um like indian tulsi tropical 
tropical. Those are the tropical tools, the yeah. standard ones from of Ayurveda, yeah. which are which are tall, perennial bush tulsis that are very high in the in the um, in the active constituents. So so they are both uh, anxiolytic in their activity. That is, they reduce anxiety, and they also are, uh, are prophylactic to a lot of diseases. And that's why drinking Tulsi tea is a is an excellent practice for anyone who who uh, is living in 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 current society. <laughs> so, yeah. so we can differentiate those uh, perennial tropical Tulsis with the quick growing annual Tulsi that actually, since that blog was written. We've run it for genetic analysis, and it came out to be identified as Asimum africanum. Oh, cool. start with the, to start with the uh, taxonomists wanted to call it Asimum americanum, but it had absolutely nothing to do with America. And so the fact that the the root diagnosis is that it's a a, uh, a hybrid. Osmum ex Africanum that was stabilized many, many years ago. And if you ever grow the plant, which people call holy basil, then you know that it always comes true from seed. It's one of the few plants that will, one of the few basils that will actually sell seed in your garden. It will drop seed and overwinter. And it's a very quick, it's very quick to flower. In fact, sometimes too quick to bolt. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked best to direct seeded in the garden instead of growing it in a pot because if you grow it in a pot early on in the spring like you might run a tomato or a pepper or mm -hmm. something of this nature in echinacea uh, those are all slow to to manifest but the the uh, temperate tulsi wants to go right to flower and once it flowers it's not really much good you can try to pinch it back but it's not going to ever bush out as much as if you started it right in the field. So mm -hmm. I direct seed those in the field. And I, I feel that the, the act of direct seeding is something that is, uh, differentiates the beginning grower from a more, more uh, well-versed uh, grower. If you can go right out into the field and, and create the uh, weed-free and moist, fertile conditions that are required for direct seeding, that is dropping the seed directly into place without the intermediary of greenhouse culture, then you're really doing well. You're avoiding a lot of water usage, you're avoiding the use of plastic pots, you're not heating the greenhouse, all of that is uh, um, a positive environmental mm -hmm. advantage. And in the meantime, you're also producing a plant which is more uh, well adapted to its environment. You're, um, you're creating a type of in place selection where the most vigorous seedlings are chosen and the less vigorous seedlings are not given a, a, a salubrious environment for, for continuing on. Instead, they're just weeded out. So this, is, this creates a, an ongoing improvement of the open pollinated strains of the plants and will uh, result in more vigor and uh, a, a better uh, genetic viability over time. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, yeah, that's what's needed. Uh, we, we abhor the, the occurrence of uh, more and more hybrids in our, in our um, seed catalogs coming to us because that that separates the common grower, the common gardener from the ability to save their own seeds and, and proceed yeah. without, without uh, 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 putting, putting money into the, into the um, uh, without, without money being part of the equation. Um, so how are we going to, to uh, support the, formation of really strong lines of open pollinated seed saver friendly and non-monetary seeds. Well, we need to 
uh, direct seed in the field mm -hmm. in appropriate environments and select for vigor and save our own seeds. The seeds that I grow for myself, for my own farm, work best for me. And someone in New Jersey is going to use the same seed stock and end up with a slightly different strain because the conditions that are being experienced in New Jersey are different from the, from the conditions that exist in Southern Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. So can you describe a little bit more what that environment looks like if you're direct seeding, like how do you prepare the soil and what are your practices um, if somebody wants to try direct seeding? Sure. Well, we're here in a uh, more or less Mediterranean climate mm -hmm. and the winters are mild and wet. The summers are hot and dry. So we uh, sow our cover crops in the fall the, when we get the first fall rains. That for us is a natural indicator of the time to begin sowing our cover crops. So we, uh, for instance, if it was a cornfield, we would uh, um, till in the stubble from the corn and then plant peas and oats, mm -hmm. which is like growing compost in place, carbon, and nitrogen. Then uh, those peas and oats will stabilize the soil and slowly develop through the winter and hold the winter rains into the soil and, mm -hmm. and nourish the soil with the atmospheric nitrogen fixed in nitrogen fixing nodules. Then in the spring, we'll go in and mow the, the, mow the compost mm -hmm. with a composting mower and allow that uh, detritus to rot into the surface of the soil for about two weeks. Then we'll go in and, and till our rows leaving the compost in the aisles for human access and to also stabilize the planting. Then in the places where we've tilled, and I've tried no-till, and I've tried, mm -hmm. I've tried uh, um, sheet mulching and so forth and so on, but, but I'm also a scientist and I've kept very good records. And when I do these kinds of things, my yields go way down. It may be better for the dirt, but it's but as a, as a, a grower of plants and a collector of seeds, and someone who runs a large seed company, I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we go in there and we till, and and at the same time we leave the cover crop in the in the pathways. So it's the yin and the yang. We're 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 allowing the yin for human access, and we're creating the yang for the for the seeds to germinate and then we'll go ahead and and uh, allow that that tilled section to uh, produce its its little flush of of uh, weed seeds and then we'll till it again and then we'll go right up the middle of it furrow it and and plant our crop right in that in that spot cover it thinly with soil tamp it securely and keep it evenly moist until the seeds germinate. Then we'll go in by hand, crawling down the line and thin out all the seedlings to the best seedling, to the desired spacing, six inches apart, a foot apart, sort of like that, mm -hmm. and allow those plants to go on. And as we, as we hand cultivate around each chosen plant, then we'll chant mantra and work with, work with our own uh, human foibles and any negative thoughts that come up will be composted mm -hmm. immediately. Mm -hmm. And uh, the positive thoughts will be put into the plants. And then also there are, there are some uh, mudras, some hand movements that go along with that. Uh, uh, we we uh, make the spiral around the seedling mm -hmm. and then as the after the spiral is established then we then that's creation and then we destroy the spiral and we bring the free soil back into a slight mound around the base of the plant bringing more nutrients to the plant and also 
supporting the stem of the plant so that it doesn't get blown over. And then we'll, we'll leave it be. Gardening is about activity and then mm-hmm. about rest. Mm-hmm. So then we'll come back after a week or so and, and uh, possibly we'll have to till up the sides of the plant and re and, and, and go and crawl back down the line again. And uh, once again, create the spiral and then, and then the mound. And by this time, the plant will have sized up sufficiently so that it's self mulching. It's covering the, the bare earth uh, um, with its leaves. And maybe the cover crop is beginning to grow in a little bit too much. So then we'll go in on the human access cover crops and we'll mow that again. Mm-hmm. And then this will create more carbon and nitrogen that, that feeds that line of soil and also uh, contributes to the, to the health of the plants and uh, reduces the possibility of erosion. And, and uh, again, it's the, it's the yin and the yang uh, uh, in, in practical cultivation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting, getting secrets of cultivation from master gardener. This yeah. is, this is amazing. When you're, um, thinning the plants, like you said, spacing is an issue and like, um, having a really healthy plant versus the other ones, but sometimes it's like hard to choose. Like, how do you choose which plants to pull out of the ground? Like which ones to keep? Like I have, I have a hard time thinning sometimes. <laughs> That's because you're so nice. <laughs> I know. I don't want to take any of them out of the ground. <laughs> you, have to, you have to have a little bit, uh, you have to harden your heart a little bit. And, and trust that it's it's for the best. Yeah. If if the situation is similar to what I've described, then the row spacing can be quite close because there's a lot of room for the plants to expand to the side now, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Then uh, also, if you don't look directly at the plants, but you glance a bit askance, there'll be one that raises up its little leaf and waves at you. Yeah. That's the one to keep. Okay. All right. Yeah. Don't, don't examine it too closely with the yeah. scientific mind. Yeah. Instead, instead look a little bit to the side and blur your vision a little bit. Okay. Think about, about uh, Don Juan's advice to Carlos Castaneda and, <laughs> and you'll, and then you'll know. Okay. Thank you. It's the same in the morning when I choose the, the leaf for my, for my Tulsi offerings, mm-hmm. I look a little bit from the side at the plants and mm-hmm. then I know immediately there's, there's one leaf that, that calls to me. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the one that I use. Don't second guess it. Yeah, don't, exactly. don't, okay. don't have a discussion in your mind. Just yeah. trust. It's the faith that really does the work. Yeah. So get out of my head and into my heart more. And harden it. <laughs> and harden it a little. Look at the side. Harden your, right. your heart. Harden your heart and look askance. Okay. The answer is there, waiting for you. Thank you. Your Could birthright. You... Thank you. Yeah. Good advice. Could you tell us a little a little bit about your Tulsi offerings? Well, everybody wants the Krishna Tulsi, and that's the one with the most purple leaves. Then. There's also something called Rama Tulsi. Rama means green. It's also Ram, the god Ram. But all gods are manifestations of the one god. Then there's also Amrita Tulsi, which is, again, an Asamam Tenuiflorum. These are all Asamam Tenuiflorums, mm. tropical Tulsis. That one is an intermediate form and comes from the south of India in uh, Amrita Puri. There, all of these plants are going to want a fertile soil, full sun, uh, a lot of warmth, and they develop slowly to start and then pick up speed as the summer progresses. There's also the temperate Tulsi, Asamum Africanum, it's not really a Tulsi. It's a it's an African 
annual plant that has a kind of a unique tutti fruity, fruity fragrance. And we've tested all of these. You can go to my website at www.strictlymedicinalseeds.com and find a comparative analysis of the, of the different cultivars on the basis of some of the active constituents. The oil of clove is, is uh, uh, very, very indicative. And um, luckily the temperate Tulsi does contain quite a bit of oil of clove. And the clove, that, that's, that's going to kill pain and it's bacteria static, isn't it? The, a good dentist will, will uh, see a tooth infection and say, you know, drop a, drop a drop of essential oil of clove on there every, every morning and then swish, you know, um, does, does more than, than a, you know, the result, the, uh, the advice of a bad dentist who will say, uh, put some bleach in your mouth. Oh. They do. They do. You know. they do. Wow. Now, get your daily dioxin hit right here no you can just use uh, uh tulsi and 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 so they're you know as uh, an anthropologist is always looking for cross-cultural uh indications for the use of plants right and so when i was in zanzibar i i apprenticed with with uh salam boom for some time a, a rather famous witch doctor on the northern tip of the island of pemba and I asked him about the the um, local bush basil, which is basically vana tulsi. It is a it is a uh, perennial, very woody bush basil. And I asked him, well, how is that used? And and he said, well, we give it to children who are teething. And a light went on in my brain. So so good that there's the there's your your uh, oil of clove one more time being used for a dental application. Mm. So yeah, those cross-cultural uh, um, jewels occur from time to time. Yeah. Then, then yeah, all the, all the, so there are basically two, two kinds of Tulsi. There's tropical Tulsi, Osmum tenuiflorum, which used to be called Osmum sanctum, which was such a great Latin name, but unfortunately it fell out of favor with the taxonomist, so you can't really use it legally anymore. Oh. And then there's the Osimum Africanum, which which uh, was introduced and mislabeled in the herb industry for 20 years. Lots and lots of people were calling it uh, uh, Osimum Sanctum, which is incorrect. And it was being used in a lot of uh, tincture making and uh, big, big tincture companies were making extracts of it and mislabeling it. And so we finally blew that out of the water uh, after many years and after having fallen into the pit ourselves numerous times over the, over um, the, the decades of, of uh, attempting to identify a plant that was misidentified in the first place. And then uh, to exonerate ourselves, we're the first ones to actually identify it properly by the use of uh, genetic uh, uh, markers, which I normally would eschew, but in this case found to be quite useful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an amazing plant anyway. Mm -hmm. Like even if it's not a true Tulsi, it's, it's an amazing yeah, it medicinal really herb. It's a, it's a bee magnet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I rarely see as much activity on a uh, plant as that. Although I was out looking at a poppy plant yesterday, and there was a bee orgy in one of the poppy flowers. <laughs> there, there were probably twenty honeybees, all, all, uh, um, kind of reeling and writhing yeah. all around the, the base of the of the uh, inside of the flower, and completely wrecking all of the uh male uh um sexual parts <laughs> of the, of the absolutely sounds and like a great place to have an orgy <laughs> poppy flower yeah yeah if i was a bee i'd be right you know right in there beautiful so do you think you could going back to like saving seeds do you have any tips as like a professional seed saver for like home gardeners who want to save their seeds as to like the best practices 
Sure. Well, in my book, The Medicinal Herb Grower, there's an addendum, which is seed saving. So I've tried to consolidate a lot of my advice into that writing. There's also a uh, seed integrity link on our website that can give people a lot of information. And then they could go to Richo's blog and there's information there about uh, seed saving and seed planting. The, a, a couple of things come up for me. One is when you see a ripe seed, pick it. Mm. Because if you don't, then you'll regret it. You'll come back later and the wind will have blown it away. Um, seeds naturally disseminate by, by any of a number of different uh, uh, natural uh, phenomena, wind, rain, animals passing, uh, just the uh, uh, maturation of the seed head and, and uh, being picked apart by birds or other beasts. So when you see a ripe seed, pick it. Uh, keep, I keep seed packets in my empty seed packets in my back pocket and a pencil in my side pocket. And so I'll just, I mean, I look on my desk right here. There's, there's one that says umka. That means that umka geranium seeds were put in here. And then, then later I can consolidate those into, into more uh, uh, numerous lots. And then Another thing that comes up for me is uh, um, know your know your your uh, know your seed, know the seed that you're planting. Uh, observe the seedling that comes up, where it often bears a a, a, a bit of the testa on the plumule as it emerges from the ground. Know the plant as it's as it's maturing and watch it carefully as the, as the seed heads begin to mature. And unless they're very spiny seed heads, go ahead and rub the seeds between your, uh, the palms of your hand. And if the seeds break free, if, if for instance, a fennel seed has gone from green, green colored, which is a great time to make medicine out of it, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, to, to brown colored, then, um, the seeds will rub off in the palms of your hands very easily. And once, once that uh, occurs, then it's time to harvest. And so just, just know your seed from planting all the way through to, to harvesting. And um, other, tr other tricks of the trade, uh, water and fertilize and cultivate the plants actively in the early phases and then back off on those things as the plants mature and the seeds mature because you're going to get a lot of molds forming. If you, for instance, put a sprinkler on top of a ripe seed head, that's a real don't do that kind of thing in, in our world. Mm -hmm. So we, we reduce watering in the latter parts of seed maturation and allow the seed to be produced uh, in a dry environment and then that hardens them off better so you get a harder uh denser uh, healthier seed that way makes sense yeah those are those are amazing tips thank you and how do you um separate the seed from the fruit um when you're packing up your seeds sure well that's you know that's a uh species specific question, but just now I've been writing on the carrot family, the APACA, mm -hmm. which is full of uh, seeds that occur in paired akenes. They're actually fruits like cumin and caraway and coriander, all those, all those uh, aromatic culinary slash uh, medicinal uh, herbs that, that uh, are in the, in the carrot family. Well, well, for those, and fennel would be a, another one, then what we'll do is uh, when the, the vast majority of the seeds are ripe on the plant, we'll go in and harvest the, the seeded umbels, either by cutting them off individually or by 
harvesting the entire plant, depending on the degree of, of uh, total maturity. And those uh, pieces will then be laid out on sheets or on a uh, swept cement slab in the sun and turned frequently. And then we'll go in with flails and flail the bejabbers out of the uh, plants. The, <laughs> the uh, um, seeds will break off and all the fluffier carbonaceous parts, the stems mm -hmm. and, and follicles and so forth will be uh, left up on the, on the surface. Those we can screed off. We just, we just remove all that carbon and compost it. And then what we're left with is the, the seed itself uh, in a pile. We can sweep it all together or on a sh with a sheet. Uh, we can have two people pick it up and, and, and vibrate the sheet and all of the seeds will come together into the center. Mm -hmm. And then those can be separated by means of uh, graduated screens. Uh, you choose a screen that's, that's large enough for the seed to fall through and then a screen underneath that that's small enough for the, to hold the seed. And what you get is a, 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 a very uh, lovely separation where the top screen is full of, of chaff. Yeah. The bottom screen is full of seeds and chaff that's the same size as the, size as the seeds. And then the, uh, the dust has all flown away. And so at that point, um, the seed crop, crop is relatively clean and we can wind winnow. So we wait till a day when the wind is blowing gently across the landscape and can be predicted to a certain extent to be going in a certain direction. And then we release the seeds to the wind and the small chaff again blows away. This also blows away any empty seed coats and to a large extent, seeds that are not as dense as the ones that have the highest germination. So we're not only purifying the seeds at this point with wind, but we're also um, we're also choosing for the uh, seeds of the highest germination rate and getting rid of the duds. So at that point, then um, we'll take the sample and uh, uh, take a, a handful of it, put it in a pizza pan and take the pizza pan back and forth and any remaining chaff will come up to the top of the seed. And then we blow that off with breath. And mm -hmm. at that point, the seed is, is uh, ready to be in, indoors cured. So then it's put into a screen inside, or if it's very small seed, it'll be put on paper inside on the drying racks, labeled mm -hmm. and turned frequently for a week or two until it's completely dry. If you take the weight of the seed when you first put it in and you think it's dry, and then you take the weight of the seed after a couple of weeks, you realize that you've lost quite a bit of moisture. Wow. And then uh, at that point, the seed is weighed and um, put into labeled bags, given a lot number, germ tested, and then uh, packaged. We have a, uh, a seed packaging machine that literally counts out the seeds into packets. Mm -hmm. And we can also do hand uh, packaging. Uh, if it's a situation where the chaff just won't let go of the seed, then we have to put the seed out on a table and that's called table separation. Mm -hmm. You literally go through seed by seed chaff by chaff the seed goes on one side the chaff goes on the other uh -huh. and very very labor intensive yeah. and something we avoid at all costs mm -hmm. because it really costs yeah for sure yeah. yeah hundreds of different types of seed yeah. trying to keep them all viable trying to keep them all in the right packet right. getting to the right person at the right time amazing yeah full-time endeavor for about 30 people who work for Strictly Medicinal Seeds. Okay, you have about 30 people. And about how many different plant species do you grow? Where I The book that I'm writing, which is the Medicinal Herb Grower Volume 2, uh, covers 800 species. 
And, and those are the ones that I have the most familiarity with. Mm -hmm. And I was extremely embarrassed this morning when I went on the website and tried to look for um, summer sown seeds for a new sale and realized that the little out of stock sign is actually more prolific than the in stock sign. And (laughs) I guess that's an artifact of this time of year, but we intend to, we intend to keep going in good faith and produce as many seeds as possible and make the little out of stock signs turn into (laughs) signs and stock people up with the best thing that we can, that we can possibly offer with love from our heart. Yes. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. We try. We've been, we've been benefiting from your seeds since, yeah, when it was horizon herbs and um, we love getting your seed catalog. I mean, it's just so joyful, like beautiful illustrations that it's all your daughter who does the drawings, right. For the seed catalog. That would be, she's, she's nine months pregnant. She's uh, ready to, to gift another yeah. large, large seed into the world. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. It's wonderful. Yeah, but she keeps drawing, and, and to her credit, uh, she never has drawn from a picture. She only draws from the actual plant. And that brings up for me the, the uh, one of the main aspects of that I look for in terms of personal and public integrity mm-hmm. is just just keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> she really she really draws an illustration from the from the plant as as she sees it. She has a relationship to the plant. Mm-hmm. In fact, from time to time I've said, could you please not draw the little sickly leaf off on the bottom? It really doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't look that great. You know? Uh, um, <laughs> she's like, nah. <laughs> He's like, nah, <laughs> that's the way it is. Yeah. And on the cover uh, of the current catalog, there's Wood Bet Me. And, yeah. And I was begging her to do that, to do that uh, illustration oh. all throughout the, throughout the uh, maturation of the Wood Bet Me plants. And, and when they looked like they were in perfect, in perfect flower, for some reason, she just had a blockage on it, and then I had to cut one back, and it re-sprouted. And finally, right before <laughs> last frost, she made a made an illustration of it, and that um, <laughs> and that's what it was. It warmed the cockles of my heart because yeah. it was what I wanted to see on the current catalog. Yeah, she does. Why a, did you she, want to see Wood Betney on the twenty twenty one catalog? Uh, well, Wood Betney is uh, one of the one of the wound warts, right? Um, it's it's a, a uh, signal plant for treating the wounds of person kind. Mm. We're we're all um, we're all wounded these days. We're trying our best to stay whole, but I thought it would be good to. Uh, feature a plant that treats the wounds uh, of the people and also is good at helping you avoid the pestilence. So, yes, yes, we hold these plants close to our heart and pray that uh, they protect us from the pestilence Mm -hmm. or from any qualm. May we not be affected by a qualm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very cool. It makes sense. So, do you think you could talk a little bit about mandrake? We just watched your video on mandrake, and I've I've grown some mandrake from seeds from strictly medicinal, and it's just such a interesting plant. I had this book, The Mystic Mandrake, by Thompson, and uh, it. I mean, it's just it's it's like still in popular culture. It has this mythos of talking. You know, it has a voice. It's one of the few plants that still has a voice, even in Harry Potter, you know, but what, what brought you, what brought Mandrake into your life? Well, you know, I tend to gravitate towards plants for a couple of different reasons. One is their, their utility and the other is their popularity. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
as uh, uh, I'm a seed seller and I'll move towards the things that sell well and mandrake sells well. Yeah. The uh, rarity of the plant. Um, if, if you're trying to establish yourself in uh, herbalism, then you make a formula and you use an, you use an herb in that formula that nobody else has. And that <laughs> differentiates your formula from everyone else's and gives people a reason to want it. So the fact that uh, mandrake seeds were very difficult to obtain uh, made me want to grow it so that I would have them. And then uh, mandrake does speak to you, but it speaks, it, it speaks to me, but it speaks to me in the back of my brain. And a lot of what it does is uh, um, tries to whisper to my vasanas. Do, do you mm. know what the vasanas are? The vasanas are your negative tendencies. Yeah. So, so it will it will tend to um, uh, produce avarice in mm. individuals. Uh, it was considered to be a good luck talisman, uh, yeah. a a love apple. Yeah, kind of like apple. John the Conqueror a little bit in Europe. Maybe so, a talisman. Yes, yeah. like that. The seal, the the seals on on the John the Conqueror root, looking like a like the seal on on a letter of integrity from the king, but but no, I I, I uh, it was a challenge to me, and mandrake is always a challenge. It it is always full of surprises, and 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 it it whispers these these. Uh, words into the back of your brain and and you need to resist that and the best way I found to do that is to serve the plant hmm. always serve the plant if you can put your focus on on growing the plant and encouraging the plant then it'll be kind to you see <laughs> interesting on that yeah. level. and so then the the whispering will will uh, be less and then I also physically, um, um, resist the tendency towards avarice by, for instance, when I have good quality mandrake plants to sell, I sell them for $13 instead mm. of trying to like stick it to people because they can't get one anywhere else and charge them $30 or something. Of course, that three is always going to be in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but in any case, um, um, yeah, try to underprice it a little bit. Try to be like over the top generous okay. because otherwise uh, the plant is running things and you never know where you'll go with it. Yeah. I, um, um, I find that it's a, 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 an awesome meditation to care for the mandrake plants. It's a very good example of creating environment for plants and, you know, uh, uh, build it and they will come kind of, mm. kind of approach. So you make the sandy soil, you incorporate the, the, the ground limestone below each plant because they like a very high pH, pH seven to eight. Mm. So you, you um, um, plant the root uh, down into that, um, sand, which keeps this crown of the plant dry. And then that sand heats up like it was like a, a, you're in the Mediterranean, you know, and, and then, and then the, the plant prospers that way. And when it goes dormant, which it does go dormant, usually early in the summer, I've got, I've got plants going dormant out there right now. The ones that did not fruit are going dormant. The ones that are in fruit, uh, are, are gloriously healthy still. And so, uh, when it goes dormant, then it keeps that crown dry and that means that it won't rot. And so then it'll come back again because it's an herbaceous perennial now, isn't it? It, 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 it dies back in the summer and then it comes back again as flowers in January or February in our neck of the woods, probably later on if it's if you're in a uh, lower uh, 
growing zone, zone six and under that like that, then it probably wouldn't really show up until more on towards spring. So it's a good example of building ecology and putting plants there. And that's kind of what we need to do in the mixed garden of medicinal herbs. On one hand, we can grow summer savory as a summer annual and use the method that I talked about in terms of tilling in the cover crop. On the other hand, we're creating perennial beds that uh, are rimmed by stone. We call them tortugas because they uh, resemble resemble uh, uh, tor turtles or tortoise um, carapace. And, and in those, you know, we'll have rare plants that we want to keep very close ties with. Um, woody perennials, uh, toric rock roses will be growing in there. Uh, always then planting trees because um, in this day and age, we need to propagate trees. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a main focus of mine to produce and, and uh, uh, disseminate tree seeds so that we can replace the trees that we're losing, um, um, create the opposite of the global warming effect, mm -hmm. create oxygen, shade, and good vibes, fruits for everyone who's willing to get down on their hands and knees and and uh, nourish Mother Earth and be nourished in exchange by the fruits of their own labors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, and, and trees. I mean, that's one of my big things right now is is planting a lot of trees. We have the space right now to do so. <laughs> that's the thing with trees too is you you they get big. <laughs> Mm -hmm. but they yeah, have microclimates too indeed yeah and and so then there's a constant flux and change and it's a good thing that plants do self-seed and uh, it's a good thing that plants are quotes unquote invasive because otherwise otherwise uh, they wouldn't move around and find a, a sunnier spot if the tree is getting too big I have trees that I've uh, planted myself from seed all around me on this land. And many of them are too big for me to put my arms around now. They wow. tower. Mm. So uh, 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 patience, it eventually does come to pass that these trees will uh, uh, nourish you and, and your children and, and grandchildren in a, in a little better world where, where the, gift of the trees is much appreciated yeah patience is so crucial i've been planting these like uh, shag bark hickories and so on and they're just little guys now and it'll be decades before they start <laughs> producing love, love a shag bark hickory what a yeah. what a what an awesome tree yeah yeah slippery elms we can grow slippery elms out here because there's no dutch elm disease out here uh, Aesculus hippocastinum, the uh, uh, horse chestnuts, mm -hmm. such a great vascular tonic and a, a giant tree that's, that uh, bears uh, unbelievable flowers and makes huge nuts for the squirrels that you can also keep in your pockets for good luck. Mahogany nuts to remind you of. Oh, I thought you were uh, talking about keeping squirrels in your pockets for a second. <laughs> It was like interesting. Your pockets. <laughs> gotcha though. Little things. My dog would chase them. My pockets would have holes in them. <laughs> my seed packets would fall out. Where would I be? Yeah. They'd sure. eat your seeds. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. So we've already gone over an hour. Um do you think uh well are there some last uh thoughts or things on your mind that you that you'd like to share with our listeners today well everywhere we look there's this this ongoing fight between good and evil and my thought is that let's stop taking sides mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. 
live in the midst of non-attachment, mm. non-attachment. We don't need to have expectations. It just breeds great disappointment. So keep beauty in your heart and always make your decisions and your lifestyle, your actions, your words, and your relationships, interrelationships, prayers, and poems towards the love. That's so beautiful. I think it's a very important message for people to, to hear and incorporate. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> These days <laughs> and any day. Yeah. Well, thank you so much um, for taking the time to chat with us today. It was really fun and it was an honor. Yeah, yeah it was an honor. My pleasure. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you and ciao.